0: Let's dive into today's topic. You ready for this episode, Lacey?
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: All right, this is episode number 100. We That's made exciting. it. What's, what's really exciting is that you started it.
1: Did I do the first one? You did
0: the first one. We did employee handbooks.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: Why you should develop an employee handbook or what you need in it.
1: Feels like a lifetime ago.
0: It was. It was a lifetime ago. But, uh, yeah. So so thanks for the download today. Lacey Halpern is with me today. She started this podcast with me. She took a chance. Uh, We did Why You Need an Employee Handbook as the very first episode and as we do episode number 100 today, which is pretty exciting. I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions for Lacey. We're going to jump all over the place. I've categorized some of the questions that I have kind of prepared, but we'll see where this goes. Sounds are you, good. Are you ready? ready I think for the so. Challenge? Ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> Let's talk about recruiting and onboarding first. What's an example of an illegal interview question that like if you were kind of a fly on the wall for an interview and you heard somebody ask it, you would just absolutely cringe?
1: Do you need Sundays off for church?
0: <laughs> why? Okay. Why is that illegal?
1: It's important to know whether somebody can work the schedule of the job. So a better way to ask that might be, these are the hours that we're open, or this is the schedule for this position. Are you available to work that? Religion is a protected status, and it's it's irrelevant whether somebody goes to church or doesn't go to church. So it would not be an appropriate question to ask during an interview.
0: Also during an interview, if somebody, well, let's say you're dancing around the compensation question. Mm -hmm. And as an interviewer, how do you get the point across, like, what's your desired salary? How do you ask that?
1: I think just, just the way you said that. that. Yeah, yeah. What What's your expected salary range for this position? Typically, that's done, if you're doing phone screens, I usually see that done sort of in the beginning so that we've weeded out people that are maybe not going to fall within the range. And I'm also seeing companies be a lot more transparent in their yeah. job postings where they're putting it out there.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it seems like it would be to the benefit because that way like, you're not wasting time. What's interesting is I was, I think I was on LinkedIn the other day and I saw somebody within my network or maybe extended network that was like, I had this interview and a candidate was bringing up salary right off the bat and it's like, how dare they? And I'm I'm sort of thinking like, well, if you don't, then it's just like this elephant in the room and you're just wasting each other's time if it's like way off. I remember my mom was actually talking, she's in software sales. She was talking about how she went, I can't remember, it was years ago, but she was going through this interview process with this company and was like a third round of interview and wow. they get to the compensation and it's like 40 grand off of where yeah. she wants it's just to just a be. waste of everyone's time. It's crazy.
1: I think it's a old school way of thinking that you, mm-hmm. don't, that you don't have tact if you bring yep. it up in the interview. I'm just seeing that happen more and more and companies, like I said, just being super transparent on the front end with job postings and, and what they're putting out there in terms of what the job is.
0: So being a marketer, I'm always thinking of ways to educate people in advance of the sales process. I think the recruiting process is no different. Mm -hmm. What's one way an employer can highlight the culture of the company before the interview process even starts?
1: Oh, man. There's so many things that come to mind. The first thing that pops into my head is is doing a culture video. So <laughs> because we did, we one, did yeah. one, yeah. And I talk about that with my clients and and have had some clients that have dabbled in similar things. I also have a client that created not an employee handbook, but it's more company folklore and culture, so like a culture book that they use as their part of their recruiting process. I think your people is really your your biggest asset, so your employees and what they're saying out in the marketplace. So really Giving employees the language to be able to talk about what's it like to be an employee here and giving them time to go out and network and and talk with people in the community is important.
0: The onboarding process, like when an employee, you know, first day on the job, there's an onboarding process, hopefully.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think employers are doing this so differently. Yeah. Uh, There's a huge spectrum of, you know, people who have no idea what they're doing to employers who've got this onboarding process nailed down. What's something unique that you've seen? and an onboarding process that just like would make the employee feel right at home like this is the right choice
1: Mm, something that's unique
0: maybe a couple things
1: yeah assigning a, a buddy to the employee that's not their manager so they've got somebody to have lunch with especially in the first week or so should it be the
0: manager though
1: I think the manager maybe on the first day makes sense, and it obviously it depends on the kind of environment. If you're in a manufacturing facility and somebody's only got 30 minutes for lunch, are we going to take them out to lunch? Maybe, maybe that would be unique for that industry. Probably pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty unheard of in our kind of environment. Or some of my more tech companies going out for 90 minutes, you know, for lunch isn't a big deal. So that doesn't necessarily set them apart. I think whatever you're doing. Having a process, knowing who's responsible for what is so important, even if it's not this super detailed, you know, all planned out for the full eight hours of the first day. As long as whatever you're going to do is planned out, that's better than nothing. I think so. Just making sure that people know who's doing what parts of that first day with that employee is critical.
0: Let's talk about a couple kind of basic HR questions. Well, let's go back to the roots on this one. Employee handbook, what's like one really common thing that employers get wrong?
1: I think as an employer grows, not paying attention to the laws and statutes within their sometimes city or state that impact them as they grow is something that employers often miss just mm-hmm. because it's out of sight, out of mind. So as you grow and become a bigger organization, different laws start to apply to you.
0: I want to add something, and this is on the uh, other side of the spectrum of of what you just mentioned. Actually, one of your clients, Metal Toad Media, if I can name them, they um, saw it as an opportunity to highlight their culture and who they are a little differently. And I think employers are starting to see the employee handbook that way. So I think if if there's one common thing that employers miss, it's that they don't see it as an opportunity.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think you're right. And really just Using it as a tool to get policies and procedures out versus talking about company culture and history and why it's so great to work here. Because the policy
0: is a bare minimum Mm -hmm. versus highlighting the other things like what makes us different, like what we believe in, those sort of things. That's the opportunity to really start integrating your culture and your beliefs.
1: And getting boilerplate language, you know, if it's whether it's from a law firm or from another company that you borrowed the language from, whatever it is, it should be custom. And trying to make it, you know, employee friendly and easy to read is really important. And we're seeing a huge shift to this more progressive language.
0: We all make them bad hires.
1: Mm, Yes, the bane of my existence. When you
0: make a bad hire, and it's not necessarily you make a bad hire, but you know, one of your clients makes a bad hire or somebody in the organization makes a bad hire and everybody knows it. Mm -hmm. What's the most humane way to make that separation?
1: I think being honest. It just goes such a long way. And from the beginning, don't wait until oh, we we have a 90-day introductory period. And it says that in our handbook. So on the 90th day, here's your final check. (laughs) You know, that That would not be what I would recommend. No, because
0: that's a surprise, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah, it should never be a surprise. So having the ongoing conversations, especially if if it's, you know, in the beginning of the employment, hopefully as part of your onboarding process, you've got regular scheduled check-ins on progress and training and development. So inside of those conversations, you're having that conversation. Because ideally, and most of the time, truly, both people are feeling it, the employee and the employer, that it's not a good fit.
0: If employees start chattering about compensation and benefits, whether it's on social media, water cooler talk, lunch, whatever it is, do you think it perpetuates? And then what do you do as an employer to sort of like respond to it if you know it's kind of going on?
1: So, so most of our clients know this that that's protected conversations. Mm-hmm. And so good idea to check your employee handbook to make sure that those conversations aren't limited, that we don't say employees can't talk about compensation because uh, legally they can. Yeah. I think if I'm an employer and I am hearing that employees are discussing this, I would say there's probably something else at the root of that. Compensation is important, but typically not always the number one reason why employees stay or leave. So there may be other things where employees' needs are just not being met, whether it's maybe actually with financial issues that they're having or other things that the employer can do. Could also be an opportunity for the employer to educate employees about their total rewards. We just did a webinar on that, so Mm -hmm. listeners can check that out. But it's not just compensation that's important. And sometimes employees, especially if you've had people with you for a long time, they need to be reminded of the total package that the employer has purchased for them.
0: What's a big gap in HR that employers are often missing?
1: I think the culture piece. There's been such a shift to having HR sit at the leadership table and and working with business owners because it's just so connected, but paying attention to not just the compliance side of things, but the, the people side of things and culture. And especially with in Oregon a 3.8% unemployment rate the talent crisis that we're in you've got to hang on to these these top performers and and really embracing the culture that you have and continuing to grow it.
0: I'm glad you said culture as an answer because that's a perfect segue into my next <laughs> uh, kind of category of questions. I didn't want to stay on HR questions too long. So, I wanted to ask you what what do you in your mind what do you think are the most important elements of a company culture?
1: I think leadership that has integrity mm. does what they say they're going to do. I think a company that is transparent, you know, with the areas that it would be appropriate to be transparent with. And I think in a, uh, an environment where employees assume good intentions of one another and have each other's best interests at heart. Those are the things. And yeah. it's funny. I mean, I'm describing what it's yeah, like well, to work you're, here. You're, but, just, you're describing
0: yeah. behaviors as well. Right. So I think what I would say in response to that is like every culture is different in how people behave. Those are those are pretty standard, I think, for for probably healthy leadership and company culture. But I think for every company, they probably need to define what those behaviors look like and what they want, and then they just they need to integrate it.
1: Right, and things that are unique too, because you know just just making sure that you've got differentiators. You know, for us, it's just having flexibility and, and understanding about you know we're we're people with families too, and so that is just so appreciated by the folks that work here at Zenium, and and I think. Some of my other clients, they all have different unique things that they're doing.
0: What's a team building program that you think would get employees from different departments working together and more comfortable with each other?
1: Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, You're on the clock. I think <laughs> well, the first thing that comes to mind is some type of activity or assessment where folks can sort of see how they're similar and different from their coworkers. So there are communication assessments out there, things like Finders or yeah. DISC. When you integrate something like that that's an actual tool that's been tested and, and really has been proven to work, You can see how similar you are and find things that you relate to with coworkers. Also, just making sure that teams are cross-functional, especially when you're doing the work in an organization. So whether you've got an initiative or a task force or problem that you're trying to solve, getting all the people that might be impacted by that around the same table and encouraging collaboration versus, you know, you can take people out for pizza. You can go bowling. We can do an activity in a company meeting That's not the stuff that sticks. It's the things that are integrated into your actual day-to-day work and your people practices that actually make a a difference. When
0: When you said assessment early on in that response, I was thinking of the DISC assessment that we did as a team a while back we're um Susie Allgood on our team and who's been on the podcast several times. She's uh, disc certified. So she goes out and trains for our clients and she's done it internally a lot. That always sticks in my mind as being one of those things where I'm like, I feel like I know these people across our company, even though if I don't work with them, I feel like I know them a lot better because I've seen where they're kind of plotted along the disc spectrum. And I know like, oh, wow, I pair really nicely with this person or I just got to look for this tendency here. and And you just you start to figure out how to work with people. Yeah,
1: and you work gets done more efficiently. It impacts the bottom line for the organization. And I also think that it helps us extend a little bit of grace to people that are maybe just different than us. They communicate differently and gives us common language so that we can just communicate about our differences and where we're at more easily.
0: You touched on this just a a little bit. I want to pull the thread on it. Would you rather spend time doing like kind of fun activities, team building stuff, or do you think their culture, especially developing it, is more about integrating, you know, the belief systems and just sort of those intangibles into the people processes? What would you spend more time on if you're like, if you're an employer and you're like, oh, I want to build a culture, do you spend it doing pizza parties or do you spend it doing You know, assessments and trainings and
1: absolutely integrating it into your people practices. The other stuff, in my opinion, is fluff. Yeah, I
0: think so too. It's fun. I think you need to do it. I think you can
1: do it. And I think it's a nice outlet for people to be able to get out of the office and spend time together company-sponsored events like that, maybe even empowering a group of employees if you've got a some type of committee or something, that they're empowered to plan that stuff so that the senior leadership team can be focusing on really that strategic yeah. culture integration is important. But if you've got limited resources, I would be investing my time into integrating you know, the company values into people practices. I love
0: that word you use, investment, because I've, that's what I felt it is. When you do, and don't get me wrong, I love the fun activities. Like I wouldn't, like I wouldn't want to be at a company if you didn't do those things. Me either. I, I just think it's come secondary to the other pieces because it truly is an investment. You could do like a little pizza party and you can keep doing them. But like once the money runs out for that activity or the activity's over, you just kind of get back to business as usual. And if nothing's fundamentally changed in the work and how everybody treats their work and how they treat each other while working, I don't feel like the fun stuff makes a difference.
1: No, it's it becomes insignificant.
0: Yeah. I agree. All right. I want to shift to management a little bit. So you manage several people, mm-hmm. right? And and you've worked with clients that manage lots of people. What's your favorite question to open a one-on-one with?
1: Oh, gosh. I feel one like, one, like I'm just like not... Like a
0: one-on-one with your, your employee, like bi biweekly or something? Yeah.
1: I don't know that I'm very creative when it comes to that. My style is typically employee-led one-on-one. So oh, yeah. I, oh, okay. I ask employees to come prepared to lead the discussion and with an agenda of what oh, they okay. want to talk about. And I think it's their time, right? And it's precious time because time is so limited, especially around here, it seems. so. I'm using questions to probe deeper as they're discussing, but typically my employees are the ones that are sort of starting the conversation in those meetings.
0: It's a good answer though. I like it. <laughs> what's uh, in your mind, like what's one of the best traits a manager can have?
1: Oh gosh, there's so many and it, and it really just depends.
0: Oh, well like what's what's the trait that you have that you're like, wow, I'm a good manager because of this? <laughs> or that people that report to you, they say about you?
1: I think right now in in my career and and based on the people that I'm that I'm leading a lot of those folks are people that I've done the jobs that they are in right now so having understanding for the struggles and then also being direct with them and honest I think that has been helpful and I think they appreciate those traits
0: so I'll admit, like when I start coming up with some of these questions, some of them obviously came from me as I come up with a lot of random questions. But I also scoured the interwebs uh, <laughs> for some interesting questions. I actually uh, Socorro.com, dot I've, I've ever been there, but they asked some really interesting questions. It's like a user generated website. I encourage you to go there because cool. there's like anything from science, education to even HR. So this this particular question came up and. You may laugh, but I think you'll have something to say about it. When you think about management, you're also a parent. Do you feel like management and parenting like styles are or <laughs> the strategy behind both are similar? Mm.
1: Yes. It's so funny though, because I feel like I'm such a different manager than I am a parent. Oh, me too. It's yeah. so crazy. Um, I think if I gosh, if I integrated what I'm doing here at work with my employees, with my daughter at home. I think that would be great. But it's just it's so funny. They Everybody says, you know, you're you're the toughest on the people that you care about the most. So your loved ones usually maybe don't always get the best of you. But I do think there are some things that are similar and one of the things that stands out the most is I really want my employees to feel confident. And so the way I interact with them, I think is my intention is to build confidence. So whether it's letting them shadow or supporting them or pushing them to do things that I know is going to make them more confident once they get on the other side of that, I do that a lot at home too. So trying mm. to build a safe space where I'm pushing my daughter who happens to be six and trying to find things that I know will will help her build confidence. That's for me the oh, ultimate great. goal. to be just a confident person
0: yeah yeah i think there's so many many parallels to management and parenting Mm -hmm. it's just i think the language you use is a little differently obviously right although i I talk to my kids like they're adults sometimes it's kind of weird and i don't know if that's the right strategy or not but i'm you know you figure it out as you go i think it's like with management there's all these tactics and things but i think a lot of it's trial and error as long as you don't make any big huge mistakes or say something you wish you wouldn't have said
1: right and just like your kids are different if you've got you know you have Two kids—they're probably very different from one another. Oh, employees are different, so different right? Yeah. So you have to be able to adapt and change I to like different types point. of personalities. And so, and the more you supervise and lead people, the better you get at it. Especially if you're really committed to helping other people be successful. I think that's the core of being a manager.
0: If somebody's like a new—they're stepping into a new manager role, maybe never managed people. They want to be a good manager. They want to become a great manager. What sort of steps do they need to take to get from wanting to be a manager to being a great manager?
1: Really checking yourself to make sure that you understand what that expectation is, because it may be different amongst different organizations. Being committed to people and not just tasks. I think the best leaders are those that are committed to both. And using your resources around you. So whether that's listening to podcasts, going to workshops, shadowing other leaders within your organization, finding mentors outside of it, reading books. I mean, there's a whole, you could go on and on, but being committed to it and making sure that you are making time for your own personal development and planning time is important.
0: How do you determine high potential employees? And then part two of that question, what do you do with them?
1: That's a deep question. It Um, is. I think in terms of figuring out if someone is high potential, you know, it certainly depends on the role and the expectations. But for me, I think having someone who has the desire, so there's this, you know, earnest, (laughs) excited behavior that they're demonstrating about learning and growth and the aptitude. So it's one thing to be you know, I would love to be a doctor in a hospital. I don't have the aptitude for that. Science, not my thing. So having both of those, I think that's that's how you can determine it. You know, and then what to do with that, nurture that, spend time with that person, push those people, work with them on a development plan. And all of that's going to be custom, right, based on the person and, and what it is that they're aspiring to do.
0: So with the high performer, you have, you know, high potential, probably a producer, all those things. And then you get the low performer, who do you spend more time with?
1: I think most people spend most time with their low performers. And then the
0: high performers are like, ah, oh, somebody's not paying, t- they're not yep. paying attention to me. They don't want to grow and develop me and then they leave.
1: Yeah. Right? And I, I would say there's, there's a balance you have to spend time with both, but I would encourage managers to really think about the time that they're spending with their you know both the low the, the folks that are right in the middle just plugging along because we don't want to lose those people either and there may be people who just want to keep doing what they're doing and don't have aspirations to grow or move and that's just fine so having a balanced approach to your time um, is important
0: you mentioned every person every employee is a little different how do you find out how they like to be managed
1: ask just ask.
0: Seems simple enough.
1: Yeah. Ask and pay attention to the cues that you're getting if something that you're doing isn't working. If it's not working, check in on that. Just having an open, transparent dialogue is so important. And you can't do that if you're not having you know regular check-ins with your people.
0: I'm going to wrap up with trends, you, and the future. Okay? So what's one thing that you want to improve on this year?
1: My leadership skills. Really just be specific um, on that. I I think I have great skills in terms of working with my direct reports. I think what I'm really focusing on at this point now is stepping into a leadership role within the company and helping to be able to make decisions that our organization is making and and having a voice for that. So working on business acumen and just my confidence when it comes to sitting at at our leadership table.
0: What's one way like technology is going to impact HR?
1: Oh my gosh, there's so many ways. I think things being self-service and having employees have access to their information, updating information, managers having access to things like performance management systems. Like at the push of a button, everybody wants things quickly and in real time. And I think that's what's going to shift is so having things will, be more accessible. What
0: will HR administrators be doing if that job sort of still exists? If the menial type of tasks like time cards and employee files and just updating records and those sort of things, if those are automated on a kind of a self, self-service sort of model, what happens to that t- sort of position?
1: I think there will always be a need for someone to maintain electronic data. So for the folks that like that and appreciate that side of HR, I don't know that that will necessarily completely go away. But I think just the shift to HR really being on the leadership team, making business decisions that impact the bottom line, focusing on talent management and culture is really the wave of the future, I think, for HR. What's the
0: future? Since we're on this topic, I'm curious. I always like to ask people, what's what do you think about where work is going in the future? I mean, it's obviously technology. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing, but it could break down a lot of existing jobs that we have. But it's just, it's reallocating them to different places. Yeah. What do you think the profession of HR, even some of your clients and like the type of jobs that they have, what happens?
1: I think there will be some industries that are going to be more impacted, I think, about manufacturing and uh, maybe even some technology jobs as technology grows and changes. I think HR will always need human beings to do this work because if we turned this industry into a, a machine, I think all the work that folks have done in the last 10 years, especially to improve workplace culture, it would go away. And I just don't see that happening.
0: What does the future of the workplace look like from uh, an aesthetic standpoint, from the way we operate and work? What's your thoughts about... And it's going to be different for every industry, of course. Manufacturing, you're probably still going to have to be on the floor, right? Production still on the floor. Knowledge worker, what does it look like?
1: It could be different. I think we're just seeing a a lot of you know with my clients requests for this work from home compressed work weeks more flexible schedules split days where you might have seen a split shift maybe in a retail environment but employees in professional services asking for split shifts to work when kids are in school get them home and off the bus and have dinner and then work again in the evening so that <laughs>
0: actually goes to show like the we talked about the work life integration versus the flexibility that goes to show that like people don't mind working all the time they just want to be able to be able to take part in their own life as it happens throughout the day. They don't want like nine to five. It has to be work time like that. I think that day is kind of come and gone. Yeah,
1: I think the way that I would say it is people want to be a participant in their life. And in order to do that, employers are being asked to be more flexible. And sometimes it doesn't work, but when it can, I think it's a win for both sides.
0: If the 40 hour work week is changed? Is it at the government's hands, like mandated, or do employers start to say, you know what, this this flexibility, this work-life integration matters, and this is what people want, so we're going to now start shifting it, and people start catching on?
1: Oh, man, I think it could be both sides. It could be, you know, there's always going to be rules that govern overtime and rest and meal periods and that kind of stuff, and that obviously comes from regulations, governmental regulations. I think Employers that want to stay competitive and have an eye on talent management, they're going to have to get creative before any regulations come into place, especially when we talk about unemployment rates and how difficult it is to attract and retain good people.
0: Do you think that employers will reduce from 40 hours? Do you think that 40 hour work week? I don't know. Do you think I haven't
1: heard anything about any employers doing I, that? I just
0: hear people all the time talk about how, you know, other countries are doing less you know, hours, six hour days or whatever. Yeah. Or four I think days on or.
1: I think I would encourage employers to think about how to get creative maybe with yeah. that 40 hours that they've you. got. And, you know, especially for your exempt workers that are often working more than 40 hours a week. How can we be even more creative than we are? It's not enough to say it's 3.30 and your kiddo's got a t-ball game. You can go ahead Absolutely. and leave early. We've really got to get ahead of this. And what better way than to ask your employees what they want? Yeah. And so I'm getting a lot of requests right now to do surveys or stay interviews focus groups to find out how do we retain and keep these great employees
0: people employees may want something they like if you have a workforce you may have a set of employees that that want what you're describing and then others may just want a standard nine yep. to five how do you accommodate all that
1: i think you you evaluate does it have a business impact and is that impact negative can we still get the work done are we serving our our customers and If you are, then it seems to me that it would be an easy yes. If there's an impact, maybe it's not a financial impact, but there's a cultural impact. Like if everybody worked from home and there was no team collaboration. That maybe wouldn't work depending on the organization. So I don't think that it has to be a one-size-fits-all for all employees. And honestly, what worked for me seven years ago before I had my daughter wouldn't work for me now. And maybe once she's older and driving and I'm, you know, it could be different. So just being nimble and flexible is, I think, going to continue to be important.
0: Avery's what, six, seven? Almost seven. She'll get her license in less than 10 years. (laughs) My guess is by then she won't have to learn how to drive.
1: You don't think so? I don't
0: think so. I think self-driving cars. Oh, and that's I, I think, it, and it could change work. It could change. It could
1: change everything. You know, it could just
0: change everything. Your worry as a parent having a driver or, or letting her drive with friends or whatever. I, I don't know. I, I'll be curious, but I just hear a lot of the self-driving. We'll have
1: to listen to this this hundredth episode you, in ten yeah, years together. <laughs> listener, I know
0: these listeners will will hold me to this if if I'm wrong <laughs> in the future. But I I'm curious. By then, I I think we won't have to worry about it. Um, what's Let's stick with federal if we can. But what's one compliance-oriented thing at the federal level that you're is on your radar and the radar of employers?
1: Healthcare reform.
0: Oh, you think it's gonna be unwound?
1: I think there will be changes, and so I think they we're already all tried
0: just, tried once. Tried
1: once. We're just kind of waiting to see what happens there. But I think we're hearing it all the time with clients that are evaluating their medical plans at their renewals and. Are we going to have to offer this? I've got some clients that are going to be in that applicable large employer group come January of next year and they're evaluating, you know, we're going to be forced to offer a plan. How do we do that? And we're going to plan for it because it's in place right now. And then we'll just, we'll have to see what happens.
0: In my experience, I mean, in the experience of everybody, I just, I tend to pay attention to it. It just seems like nothing ever gets repealed or retracted. The government always gets a little bit larger. You like got to feed the beast, you know? What I hope though is if it does stay intact, that it becomes more scalable, it operationally, it's more efficient, those sort of things. There's been a lot of flaws. There has
1: been. And I think on the employer side, on in terms of the administrative pieces, it's definitely a burden. And and we, I mean, we've done trainings
0: and trainings and redoing forms and having people like go to, you know, workshops to figure out how to, I mean, hiring attorney, like there's so much that's gone into it. And it's just in my mind, it's. Sort of wasted resources in a way. It's
1: a lot. And so really, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what happens.
0: What's your favorite book related to HR, leadership, or self-help?
1: Self Help, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Great book. Yeah. I think we did a podcast or maybe I wrote an article. I think on we that. talked about it. Yeah. So yeah. great, great book. I just am finishing up Strengths Finders, which I had never oh, yeah. read that book before. Well,
0: it's, it's a short book. It's more about the assessment. And yes. you have to, what's crazy about that, I think you have to take it and you have to answer the questions in like 10 seconds. Yeah. And it, it just rapid fire. It and you, is, you're, you're like, you panic.
1: Yeah. And there's a little timer on the screen. How many did you? It.
0: Did you take it? I did. How many did you like the window where it skipped? Like I couldn't read fast enough and take the answer. I was able to get through. You got them all? Oh man, I think I missed like two or three. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah. So I think that is going to be really helpful, especially with my desire to really focus on on leadership. So that was a great book. There's just, there's so many out there and I tend to be more experiential learner and I also really like podcasts and things like that. So I tend to get most of my information. What's
0: your favorite podcast that's out there right now? Could be business related or? could be personal.
1: I can't think of the name of it. And it's actually a mom related one. It's a friend of mine that just started it. She's got a blog called Womb and Hearth. And she does a a podcast on that about just the birth experience and stuff. It's been pretty interesting.
0: It's a crazy experience. (laughs) That's for sure. Uh, Watching it was uh, twice was... (laughs) I mean, it's it's. I women go through a lot. Let's, let's just put it that way. Yeah. I'm gonna. I want to close it with this for the working parents out there. What's one thing you've learned about just being a working mom and you know having to be there for your family, but also having to be there for your company, your clients, your employees, coworkers.
1: Two things. One, there is no such thing as balance. So saying work life balance does not exist. It's like you're either
0: in it or you're out of yeah. it. Yeah.
1: So I I try to think about it more like how can I integrate the two so that one is not ever more important than the other, but that both are getting what I need. And then the other thing is just grace for myself, that there's only so much of me to go around and having good skills about prioritizing what's most important. And ultimately for me, family is first. And I have set some pretty clear boundaries with clients, with Zenium, with my family about how I'm going to make that work. And so far, the last 10 years, it's worked really well.
0: Good for you, Lace. We made it. 100 episodes. Uh, We're going to keep on going. You know, one thing that's been happening recently is we've had a lot of people, and I think it's because I've been mentioning it, but I love it when people reach out on LinkedIn and just say like, how you're listening. You know, what impact it's made, what kind of topics you awesome. want to learn about. And some people recently have said like, hey, I listen to you on the commute, my train commute or my car commute or my bike ride, not bike ride, but walk or whatever, however they're getting to work. And that's just cool. I like hearing that. Me so too. continue to, to reach out and connect with me. I'm totally open. I'm not some robot behind a podcast mic and we're, we're people we like yes. to connect with, yeah, that would connect be with awesome you so did that. Lacey hopper and as always thank yeah. you for being part thanks of the podcast thank again. you for being on like 15 of the first 100 episodes yes. or whatever it has been you've been a rock for us and it's it's always fun to get I your love perspectives this, so. thanks yeah have a great rest of your day you too. thanks for listening to the human resources for small business podcast Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.